we are still talking about worship. How it relates with our relationship with the Lord. How we approach God. Sometimes people wonder, well, what's the difference between praise and worship? And sadly, a lot of folks, even in Pentecostal churches, don't understand that there is a difference. And you're to do it at different times. You don't mix it up. Praise, it takes praise to bring you into the presence of God. And worship is what you do after you get there. Oh, hallelujah. I will enter, Psalmist said, I will enter his courts with praise. <laughs> Glory. We praise our way through the present to the presence of God. And then we once we get into his presence, can't nobody stand in his presence. You wait till he comes back and he appears before you. I guarantee you, you're going to drop down to your knees. Praise takes you into his presence. Worship is what you do once you get there. Hallelujah. Well, we've been talking about, put up that first frame, um, been talking about the essence and concept of true biblical worship. There's a real worship and there's a false worship. Uh, and we've uncovered quite a bit on this, uh, distinguishing things about, uh, about worship and how important it is. And the only thing that I'm going to take the time to, re to rehearse about our last lesson is that always remember, True worship is about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about your needs. It's not about what you got to have. I'm so glad. Huh. Brother Flanner didn't know what I started teaching on the Wednesday night before he came and started that revival. But he repeated in that first message so much that I, I brought out in the lesson the Wednesday night before. We don't just go up to God and start begging him and telling him what we want. You don't treat a supreme being that way. We come into his presence and we worship him. What you said the other night when you got up, up, up there to take the prayer request Sunday night, uh, Brother Douglas, is right on target. He talked about when he started to pray, he always spends some time uh, praising God and worshiping God. That should be the first thing that everybody does when they start praying. You take some time to worship Him. See, what a lot of people call the Lord's Prayer is not the Lord's Prayer at all. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer He prayed in the 17th chapter of John. When they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, Jesus gave them a model something to go by. Our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. He will tell on them when you begin to pray, you start magnifying God. You start giving Him glory. You worship Him. Hallelujah. Don't just go before Him and start saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, uh, my Lord, if, if more of us would learn that, man, we would experience so much more power and so much more freedom and so much more deliverance. Hallelujah. See, some people don't like order. They think, but God is a God of order. He, everything God does has always been in order. God has never been involved in any kind of chaos. Hallelujah. He's a God of order. When he placed the universe, he placed everything in order. If our moon had been, been hung just 500 miles away further than what it is, we would not have oceans to come in and back. The tides would not move because it's the specific gravity, uh, uh, gravity uh, on the earth and the moon that causes the tides. I mean, Lord, I, I learned that in eighth grade in, in science class. God set everything in order. He's not a chaotic God. Hallelujah. And God would bless us with more of his spirit and spiritual gifts if we would learn how to handle them. That's the biggest thing he came against the Corinth church uh, for because they, just because they had some gifts, they were going crazy with them. Paul told him and gave him a long lesson about it. And at the end of it, he says, everything that you do, let it be done decently and in order. Hallelujah. That's a principle, folks. It's a biblical principle that God don't give an inch on. If I don't follow his order, he's not going to bless me. Hallelujah. All right. Tonight, we're going to consider the various kinds of worship the Bible says is useless and comes more from the flesh than from the Spirit. Uh, before the time of Moses, when people worshipped, they didn't sing hymns, they didn't read scriptures, they didn't do nothing like we do. Their total worship before Moses' time was the sacrifice. They would make a sacrifice and burn it before the Lord. And if you remember... Uh, Abel brought a sacrifice. Cain brought a sacrifice. And the Bible says God respected the uh, sacrifice of Abel, but he, he did not regard or accept the sacrifice of Cain. That ought to tell you right there, God ain't going to accept everything we throw at him. Hallelujah. I'm giving you some good biblical standard teaching tonight. Amen. That needs to be taught in a lot of our churches. Hallelujah especially if we want to have a, a mighty move of God. God ain't going to give nobody his spirit and his gifts to play and to titter around with. It's too powerful. It's too real. Hallelujah. Amen. And God didn't respect. So there's, there, there's some types of worship that God will not accept from me. He won't accept from you. Hallelujah. And I'm, we're going to consider tonight in this lesson, I hope I get through all of them, uh, some of the types of worship that God will not accept. And matter of fact, we're going to find out the Bible calls them useless. Uh, and the first one is, put it up on the screen there, vain worship. 
vain worship. You have the Bible mentions of vain worship. It's, it's a, and it's a type of worship that, that God will not accept and receive. It doesn't matter who does it. We find this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. This is what he says. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Leave it right there just for a second. You start talking to God, say, Oh, God, how much I love you. I praise you. I glorify you. God knows if you're lying or not. <laughs> Come on. Hallelujah. What have we been doing in our lifestyle to, to, uh, to, to, to prove that we love him? Amen. Uh, God says there's a group of people that draw not of me with their lips, their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We got to we got to keep our heart right. That's what God's concerned about. Go ahead and put the other verse. But in vain, look at that. Do they worship me? And this is how this what what involves vain worship. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Hallelujah. Teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. As Christ was talking to those in that generation, he referred to a type of worship which God doesn't accept nor respect. It's just the same thing as well, what Cain offered him. Vain worship. Now, to fully understand all the implications of his message, we need to make sure we know the complete meaning of the word he used in this particular text. I want you to put the same scripture up there, but put it up there in the Amplified version. Look at this. This is what the Amplified says for vain, uselessly, uselessly do they worship me, for they teach as doctrines the commands of men. <coughs> so according to the Amplified Bible, it is useless worship. That word in the original in the Greek is pronounced maintain. And this is what it means in the Greek dictionary, which means to have no purpose. It is empty with no real substance. Therefore, being useless. Don't have no substance to it. Hallelujah. God ain't stupid. He knows if our worship is for real or not. Uh, and the root of this vain worship is teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. So the message we teach has a direct effect on how our God uh, receives our worship. That's why you don't need to hang around a church that don't preach truth. You need to run from it and stay away from it. Because even though you're right with God, God won't accept you if you're hanging around and having fellowship with churches that teach false doctrine. The Bible says have no fellowship with them. Hallelujah. That's... These are principles, folks, that God has laid down, and He don't change on principles. He don't compromise on principles. It means to have no purpose, 
to be empty with no real substance. Hallelujah. Therefore, being useless. Hallelujah. Wow. That is so powerful. The message we teach has a direct effect on how our worship is received by God. If our teaching and preaching is rooted in the tradition of men, then our worship, uh, then our worship to God is perceived as useless. Hallelujah. Now, Pentecostal people, I have heard it ever since I've been in Pentecost. I hadn't been in Pentecost all my life. Born and raised in the Baptist denomination. And ever since I've been in Pentecost, all I've heard is about how the denominational churches don't teach nothing but traditions of men. But you know what? I've been been in Pentecost uh, a few days. This, this is not my first rodeo either. Hallelujah. Amen. I've been around for a while. I've been many places that God has taken me down through that time. And I have found out that Pentecost has got just as many traditions as a Baptist does. Hallelujah. And God could care less about man's traditions. He could care less about man's opinion. Amen. Everything that we teach and preach needs to have its roots in the truth of God's Word. If we don't, our worship to Him is vain worship. Useless, purposeless, no real substance behind it. Hallelujah. So, yes, it is important, amen, what people believe. It is important on what people. I've had so many people come, oh, but Brother Sammy, what, what about if so-and-so, they seem so sincere. Uh, if man, They're so sin sincere in what they believe. Somebody can be sincere, but can be sincerely wrong. Amen. It does affect how a person believes and what, what, what is the basis of their message. It will affect their relationship with the Lord. I could talk more about that, but I, I, want, to, I want to move on. The second type of worship the Bible calls is blind worship. Blind worship. What in the world is blind worship? Put up John chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Jesus told the woman at the well, Ye worship, ye know not what. That's blind worship. Worshiping but you don't know what you're worshiping. We know what we worship, Jesus says, speaking, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. And he said it already started back then. He says now is. That refers to the day that he was living in. It already started right then and there. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in what? See, this ties to the vain worship. If you ain't in truth, you ain't got true worship. That's how come I can, I can really say beyond a shadow of a doubt that people in these denominational churches and the worship they have, they don't have true worship. 
I, oh, I've seen some of them shout, yeah, I have too. But it ain't in the shout. We can shout about anything that, that stirs us up inside and makes us feel all gooey. Hallelujah. Amen. I've been out to the old creek bed a many time when I was a kid. And them old Baptist baptism services out at the creek. And a preacher baptized them one after another in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost and everybody on both sides of the bank. Hallelujah, glory to God, praise. See, Baptists back then put Pentecost people to shame. Hallelujah. But you know what? It wasn't true worship. They shouted, but it wasn't real because it, nothing is real unless it's in the truth. And I know that baptizing somebody in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not in the truth. Hallelujah. I know that. And we get, we got to be careful about some things. You worship what you know, uh, know not what. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews, but the hour cometh and I is when the true worship shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's two things indispensable for, for, uh, for true worship. Spirit and truth. If either one of them is lacking, it's not true worship. And some of us are afraid to come out and tell some folks that because we don't want to hurt no feelings. What do you rather do, hurt their feelings or watch them go to hell? That's one thing God spoke to me on that seven-day fast. He said, it's time my people get more bold with my word. We don't, ha we don't have time. <laughs> I won't use that terminology, but we can't, we can't play around with what we're doing now, folks, because souls are at stake. You're going to have to risk somebody getting mad at you and somebody getting upset with you. And I'm, not I'm not talking about trying to cram it down the throat. I'm not try talk talking about being mean to somebody, nothing like that. But I'm talking about take your stand on the Scripture and do not compromise or do nothing back up an inch. If you know what you, you, know what you got is right, do not give in. That's why these preachers are running around now baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And this I do in the name of Jesus. They're just as much compromisers as somebody just baptized them in the title spirit. Show me that in the Bible. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And this I do in the name of Jesus. You won't find it. I had a man tell me not long ago, said, Brother Pruitt says, I've been involved with AWCF for many years, he says, but I'm thinking about getting out. I says, why? What's wrong? He said, more and more, he says, when I get out and mingle with the preachers and the churches, he said, you would be surprised how many churches that call themselves apostolic is doing stuff like that now. Oh, wow. We don't have time for that mess. Hallelujah. Somebody wants me to baptize them? I'm going to baptize them the biblical way. I don't care who, who I, it don't matter who they are. Family, friends, 
president, although I love to baptize him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hold him down there till all those bubbles quit coming up. Hallelujah. Because I've been, I've been told, as long as they're still bubbling, that sin's coming up. <laughs> glory, glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> there are always two components to true biblical worship. If you leave out either, then the worship will be blind. Not seeing nor understanding the nature of your worship. Now all these all these forms of uh, worship are are connected. Uh, they have a connect a close connection. Because the third one is ignorant worship. Ignorant worship. What in the world is ignorant worship? And is that even in the Bible? Yes, it is. Acts seventeen. Verses 22 and 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I pass by and behold your devotions, and that devotions means, means altars of all kind of gods, Back then, you studied the history. Athens was covered. They were very super, superstitious people, and they, they had temples, and they had idols of all kinds of gods all around the city. As I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found, he said, I saw one altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They had all them gods up there, and they were so scared they may have missed one, which they was missing one. They built an altar, and since they, they said, well, there's, if there's one out there that we hadn't caught, caught up with yet, they, they put on there, to the unknown God. And when Paul saw all that, he says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Hallelujah. He gave that altar a name. Hallelujah. Praise God. He says, you eagerly worshiping. <laughs> see, you see how this is connected with the blind worship, and then the blind worship was connected to the first one we talked about? This form of worship is closely connected to the last one that we discussed. But in this form worship, we had superstition. superstition I'm debating I was debating within my spirit where I needed to make mention of this but it's one of the best examples that I know First time I went into a church and I saw this, when I saw it, from that moment, there was something inside me telling me, get out of here. 
this type of worship is involved with superstition. There is an awful lot of mysticism and things of that nature in some Pentecostal circles. I walked, I went in church one time and sitting right over here was an empty chair and there was this cord or something rope tied around it. Nobody's to sit in it. It's being held for Jesus. And that cord, that cord, if they're in service, if you ever see that cord drop, means the Lord Jesus has come and sit down in the service. Folks, that's no more right than any other false teaching because it's not based on biblical truth. When Jesus comes back, he ain't going to come back and sit in a, church, uh, in a seat in his church and no other church. When he comes back, he's going to stop midway the air and, and, and the angels are going to sound the trumpets and we're going to go up to meet him. He's not coming down here. That's superstitious stuff. It's superstitious stuff. And it's part of ignorant worship. Amen. It's part of ignorant worship. Um, this form of worship, as I said, is connected with the last one. The Athenians were so superstitious that they made shrines and statues of every known God. And if in... Uh, and if in case they left out one, they built him one also. Amen. We need to be more careful about what we incorporate in our worship. I look up, I see on Facebook sometimes some 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 people talking about, oh, we had a great healing service come out. We're going to believe it. God is going to feel. God's going to heal people so bad. He even, he even going to heal. He even going to heal the cavities and fill them with gold, gold fillings. What do you say about that, brother? Sam? I say bull and hogwash. I've had some of them say they've seen gold dust appear. It's all superstitious. It's all. It's it's ignorant. It's. It has its roots in this far eastern religion stuff. What they don't know, they're going—they're doing the same kind of thing as the Buddhists do, and all over that mid eastern stuff. Amen. And it's about time that people who know the truth take a stand against that kind of stuff that's going on in supposedly apostolic churches. Hallelujah! Thank God. I praise you, God. I don't, I, I don't think I would have had the boldness to come out and say some of that stuff before. God gave me a little touch more of it here recently. But we, we, need, we need to be careful on what we mix the God. Let me tell you something. 
The gospel is not an alloy. Amen. You know what an alloy is, don't you? I've uh, got an, I'm, I'm not no professional and nobody, no, no, no way means, but I've got enough grease under my fingernails and skin up enough, enough knuckles that I remember seeing, uh, seeing ranches uh, that said alloy on one side. It means it's mixed with other kinds of metal. You do the gospel is not an alloy. You don't mix nothing with it. An alloy is supposed to be done and, and made that way, supposedly to make it stronger. But if you try to mix mix something with the gospel, you're gonna make it weaker. You're gonna water it down. It's not gonna be stronger. Hallelujah. So. And and let me and let me say this, because this is this is one thing that I still hear all all the time. A lot of times, some people live in a kind of a shell, like and you invite them to come to church, and oh, I don't want to go to them apostolic churches. They're going to pull out the snakes. And sadly, there's been a bunch of bunch of people involved that's linked with this type of writer. God ain't in that. Oh, when the Bagwell, they went up there somewhere in the mountains of East Tennessee and had a sing at one of them things. And after the service was over with, he noticed across the back wall there was pictures of people laying in their coffins. And uh, Wendy Bagwell asked the pastor, he said, who's all these people in their coffins? He said, well, Brother Wendy, he says, you got to act, you got to keep the faith to handle the serpent. And all these folks back here are people who handled the serpent but lost their faith. Oh, Wendy Bagwell said, Pastor, he said, that's how come I ain't going to handle them because I figured I'd be just like one of them. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, I mean, now, I'm not saying people, like I said, not sincere does, does stuff like that. But some of them literally, literally, some of them have taken blow torches and took a blow, blow, blow torch to the, to the arm. I, again, I follow what Scripture says. In the 40 days that Jesus fasted, the devil tempted the Lord, and one of the ways he tried to tempt him was was carry him up to a high mountain and say, if you be the Son of God, you jump off from here. He said, because it is written, I will give thee the angels charge over you unless any time you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus looked back at the devil. He said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. If I try to pick up a snake in the Holy Ghost, I'm tempting God. If I light a blowtorch and put it on my arm, I'm trying to tempt God, trying to prove something. It ain't right. It ain't right. And all it does, the devil uses to keep more people away from the truth of the apostolic, the true apostolic message and why people won't believe. All right, one more, one more form. I'm, uh, I've sped along. I le left a lot of these stuff out. But there's one more. It's called wheel worship. Wheel worship. 
What in the world is wheel worship? It's again, it's it's a type of worship that God sees as useless. He won't respect and he don't accept. Let's go to Colossians chapter two and verse twenty three. He said, Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in wheel worship and humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Wow. So how do we rightly divide this? How do we break this down? What in the world is he talking about? Wheel worship is something that you, uh, you take on your own and uh, it's like, uh, kind of like willpower. You know, people take the willpower to do certain things, get the willpower to lose weight or, or, or what have you. Uh, I can draw it out, but some of the words that I would have to use, you would probably have a hard time understanding, so... I want, to, I want to give you an example of what wheel worship is. It says, notice it says, uh, uh, having a show, a show of wisdom, it appears to other people that the person involved with wheel worship has got a lot of wisdom. They got humility. Man, they got to be humble to do that. And doing things to neglect their body. That is what he's saying. And he said it in, in the words of his day. A good example of this. Has anybody heard of Catholic monks? You know what a, what a monk is. Um. Monks live in monasteries. They separate themselves from everybody else and live alone. And they inflict inflict all kind of hard things. And if you stand back and just look at them, you'd say, oh man, those, those dudes have got a lot of wisdom. Man, they got to have a lot of humility. They're neglecting things. They, they, most of them take a vow of poverty. I'll never own nothing. But let me tell you something. Poverty, pro- poverty has nothing to do with somebody being closer to God. Matter of fact, poverty is part of the curse according to the Bible. Amen. But they, they live in monasteries and they deprive themselves of all kind of things to try to get closer to God. They impose strict ascetic lifestyles. And you know, Brother Wayne, some of them take vows of silence to where they make a vow that they won't speak a word. And some of them has lived 30 or 40 years in monasteries and never spoke a word. 
I know some husbands like to see their wife become a monk. <laughs> you didn't hear that. Thank you, brother. Don't repeat that, all right? <laughs> I've already got in trouble for telling somebody to go on to a place that's hotter than where they are now. <laughs> but they, they, some of them take vows of silence that they won't speak, and they think that makes them holy. That has nothing to do with it. It has not a thing to do with it. The, that that right there and other things like it, and I gave you that example to kind of get you a picture in your mind of what will worship is. Man, if I can have willpower to deny myself this, deny myself that, and all that, and get alone over here and just live like that. Do you know that the gospel would never be spread if Christians all over the world decided to get alone and never get around nobody else? The gospel never would be spread to all of the nations. And yes, this stuff, like a lot of other false teaching, it had its origination with the Catholic Church. Amen. All, all false doctrine came out of that, and you, you know where the Catholics got it from. If you search it all down and trace it all down, it came straight out of Babylon. With the first, first, first known heathen leader, and that was Nimrod. Hallelujah. Amen. But that's what will we'll worship is. So tonight I'm, I am closing. I've held a little longer than what I intended. Vain worship, blind worship, ignorant worship, and will worship. Anybody got any comments or questions?